and I'll read the odd number of verses, and you'll read the uh, even number of verses. This is the declaration of the new covenant from the Lord in Jeremiah, you know, which is um, uh, 580 to 90 years B.C., before Jesus came. Here's what the Lord had to say to his people Israel. Let's read together, and I'll start. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the seas and the waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Do this one with me again. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth stretched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. God, we thank you today. We have so many things to be thankful for. Nothing more than the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the New Testament The fact that your promise to Israel is secure today as it ever was, because if you couldn't keep that promise, how can we trust you? But you have, you are, and you will. And you brought us all into the kingdom through that supreme promise of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Our security is not based on our ability, how strong we are, how faithful we are, how good we are. We would be hopelessly lost and always in fear. But Lord, may we stand upon the rock, Jesus Christ, today. May we learn to know you, not just learn about you, but learn to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now plop down and turn to Colossians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in the small letters in the center of your New Testament. If you need a Bible, Roger will get you one. Just raise your hand. And... uh, We'll get going on this. Yes, it's been five weeks since we were in uh, Colossians. Do you realize that? This is now five weeks out because of my trip and then the return uh, study that we did last week. So what's the best way to review where we were in Colossians chapter 2 when we did verses 1 through 10 five weeks ago? I think the best way is to tell you this story There was a rich man, a very rich man with a very large estate and extremely uh, extensive uh, art gallery with some of the famous paintings of the world. He had a few. He even had a Van Gogh. He passed away. He had no heirs. His son had died in the war, his dear son. 
And so they started the estate sale with the art collection sale. And, of course, people were gathered there, art dealers and people of great interest with money who wanted to buy the art. But the first art object that was placed as the very first thing of all the estate sales is we're not doing anything else till we do this painting. And it was a non-professional, really not that good, but a very sentimental portrait of the man's son. And, uh, of course, none of the uh, highbrow art dealers and purchasers were interested in that, like, okay, hurry up and get this over with. So at the very back, and the only person who bid was the gardener who had lived on the property and taken care of the household for decades and loved the family. And he said, well, I'll bid $50. Once twice, sold to that man for $50, and everybody says, okay, let's move on. And then, but the auctioneer says, well, actually, folks, uh, I have to announce the auction is over. What do you mean? Well, the stipulation of this auction was that the first thing to be bid was the portrait of Mr. So-and-so's son. And whoever bid on that and bought that picture gets the entire estate. Auction closed, (laughs) gavel down, the gardener wins. (laughs) You see, isn't that the story of salvation? Whoever, he in 1 John we're told, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. Actually, that's in the Gospel of John. And you see, You know, to have the sun is to have life. What does that mean to have life? A lot of people are breathing today. A lot of people's hearts are beating and minds are running. But they're not alive spiritually. To be alive spiritually is to be in union and connection and oneness with God. Not based on some sitting in lotus position and meditating or oming or any of that. To be one with God is to have his spirit dwell within you, to belong to him. And in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You are complete in him. That's what we read in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. Thus our story today. Now, how complete are we? (laughs) Verse 11, and we'll begin to study the rest of the chapter. In him, of course, Jesus Christ... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. How complete are we in Jesus Christ? You know, circumcision was the sign and the seal and the proof to a Jewish person that they were part of God's kingdom. They were in the covenant. And it was given by God to Abraham for his children. But Paul the Apostle is given the revelation and the understanding of the mystery of God, the revelation of the new covenant, and how in Christ we have a circumcision not in the outward skin of the flesh, but in the inward parts of the heart and deep within us. And of course, the Gnostics who are coming along and saying, Jesus is not enough, you're not complete in him, 
He's not doesn't have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's like a he's like one of another angel, etc., on the path, and we have deep information you need and deep ways for you to grow that we understand and you don't. <laughs> Paul says, you know what? When you got saved, you were circumcised in heart. There was a cutting away. And when you are baptized, it's not really just a, a ceremony. It means what was cut away. Dominion of the earthly fallen human nature was broken. The old person died, was buried in baptism, not just figuratively, but in a reality spiritually. And there's a new you. There's a new you. Did you know that? You don't always live in that new you, but there is a new you. You've been raised in him spiritually. It's not just a concept. It's a reality. Even this morning, praying, and I had to remind myself in prayer and say, Lord, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed a little bit by all the needs that exist that I know of, and I don't even know of half of them. I probably know as much as most people in this church of, within our realm because I'm the pastor. I get to hear things. And then we all have the centric cir- concentric circles going out from our personal lives that nobody else knows about but us, right? And then the people out there. So you start thinking about all these things, and you start feeling the inadequacy of yourself to fix anything. And then you feel guilty because you're not Jesus. Have you ever felt guilty that you weren't Jesus? I bet you have, and you didn't realize that's what you were doing. You were feeling guilty because you couldn't be Jesus. (laughs) Guess what? You're not. He lives in you if you're a believer. And he loves you because of who he is. And your freedom and your joy is not how well you're doing. Even though we want to do well, it's how kind and gracious he is to you. And your confidence is in him. And that's what changes us from just trying to please God by works and make him love us more. And understanding that you cannot, you cannot make God love you more. He already loves you. He came to you when you were dead in sin. How many times has the Lord come to you when you were bent towards sin? I'll tell you how many times. I know exactly how many times. Every time. Every time you've turned away from him, he's reached out to you not chased you away and said, fine, (laughs) we're done, you know. No, God reaches out. Verses 13 through 15, this reality, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You know, I loved I loved the songs. Thank you for doing songs and continuing to sing about the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, it's just where we are. Right over here to my right, your left is uh, the first picture on this wall towards this area up here is a picture that depicts exactly what is being said in Colossians chapter 2. It's the cross with handwriting of ordinances wrapped around it and nailed to it. You might want to go check it out before you leave today. 
our friend Lyle Trimmer in Oregon uh, painted these three uh, um, pencil paintings and or whatever you call them drawings and they're beautiful and this one really speaks exactly what we're reading here in Ephesians 2 5 and 6 it tells us also that even when we were dead in sin God raised us up and seated us through Christ into heavenly places that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places it's it, it, there's two ideas to this idea of nailing um, the ordinances against us to the cross. One is because it uses an accounting term. It's like if somebody, you had a bill and a debt, and you know, at the general merchandise store, the mercantile, <laughs> back in the day, and you'd have, you have a bill somewhere, you have other things like your mortgage and your car payment and your other car payment, and the car that you sold for, and you lost money on car payment, and your, uh, well, anyway, and the, and the timeshare that you thought was going to be great, and you're still paying that off, and should I make everybody feel even better today? Anyway, you got all these bills, <laughs> all these debts, right? And those debts are nailed, paid in full. But of course, also the concept is very clear, is that the law, the law of ordinances against us, he's going to get into that here very soon, uh, of all the law of God that condemns us. The law of God isn't something we fulfill so we get to feel righteous about ourselves. The law of God proves that we can't keep it. Everything that speaks of our sin and our failure, our inability to be righteous on our own, was nailed to the cross. You know, you could say amen right then. Everything that was, that was spoke against us was nailed to the cross. You don't have to, I'm just saying. I was in Africa, and it's kind of cool. Satan's power over us was broken at the cross. This is real. You may not be living in its fullness. Then listen carefully. Then pray as I'm talking and say, God, make it real in my life. Don't spend an hour beating yourself. Why am I not this way? Why am I not this way? Why do I not feel this? Why do I not feel this? How many times can you ask that question? Lord, take me there. Lord, make me there. Lord, let me believe you right now for what you've already said to me is the truth. That's when your life changes. It doesn't really change. You say, why am I this way? Why am I this way? We already know why you're this way. That's your human nature, your flesh, your old man. It's a pattern. You've broke, the power's been broken in our lives, but the pattern hasn't always been broken. Is that true? Yeah. So, so, but when you look to Jesus and when you believe his word and you claim these promises, you're not claiming a new Mercedes. You're claiming God's actual true word that says you're free in Christ and you're his and you belong to him. And guess what? Your spirit agrees. Your flesh, your mind your, your, that part of you that's doubting is not your spirit. Your spirit's in agreement with God. My spirit loves God. My spirit does not want to sin. My spirit wants to follow him. My spirit is alive to God. I just need to give it room to express itself, if you will. And so everything that speaks against us was broken at the cross. And verse 16 and 17, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. 
That's why on the front of your bulletin it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of these things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those whose approach perfect. Hebrews chapter 10. The whole book of Hebrews telling us the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You can't go back to the law. You can't go back under legalism. You can't fulfill rituals that are going to bring you joy, peace, and life in God. Uh, sometimes a pattern that we have in our life or a ritual we do, a tradition, can be beneficial because it reminds us of truth. But the tradition itself is not the truth. The tradition is just a tradition. And what happens? We make a tradition the law, and we make that law our life, and there's no joy in it. Not really. Let no one judge you on the basis of these laws that were nailed to the cross. Some people would tie you up with these. The Judaizers of Paul's day who followed him around, accusing him of being loose-living, weird, grace-oriented, and and being a heretic, were religious, self-righteous people. You know, in Galatians 4.29, it says, As Ishmael mocked and, in a sense, persecuted Isaac, the children, it's the same to this day, the children of the flesh persecute the children of the Spirit. What does that mean? He was talking about the Jewish people persecuting the Christian Jews, okay, at that time. So he says, now it is the same to this day. Paul's talking during the time as he's writing to the Galatians, and you're 2,000 years out. But it's the same story all the way through. Religious people who are under a burden of religious activity to prove their righteousness will always demean those who are saying, you know, I'm free in Jesus Christ. Is there a temptation to sin when you say, I'm free in Jesus Christ? Sure there is. There's a temptation to sin for everybody. But the answer to sin isn't legalism and self-righteousness. The answer to sin is grace. Grace does more than law every time. And I'll prove it to you in a minute. So stay tuned. This isn't time to go to sleep yet. Okay, (laughs) so there's a pattern in man's nature of always, man's nature will usurp God's grace. I will do good and really get some ducks in a row, and then I look over at, at Dave Conroe, and he's not doing quite what I'm doing, so I now even feel more superior. Now, this is very rare that this would happen, of course. But he's not doing what I'm doing, so I get to feel even better about, I mean, I'm not Dave Conroe. I may not be perfect, but I'm not Dick Walton. I'll get it off of you. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? You, do, you, you might not even know you're doing it. It's the deceptiveness of the human heart. It's, but I'm doing this. I'm up at five, reading my Bible for an hour, praying for a half hour, and I'm giving extra money away. I must be right with God. I must be blessed by God. And not only that, The guy next to me is not doing anything like what I'm doing, so he must not be as right with God. And it's very difficult to fight. You might say, I don't do that at all. Well, God bless you. You're superior to me. But uh, I'm aware of it. I don't live in that, but I've seen it in my heart, and I've seen it in others, and I'm just telling you it's the truth. It's a pattern in man's nature to usurp God's grace in our own law in our own way. And the law was just a shadow. And all the seven feasts God gave, that's eight, but 
there's seven. <laughs> okay? The seven feasts that God gave Israel, that all speak, we've done studies on it, the seven feasts, we've gone through Leviticus and shown Jesus fulfilled the Passover, the Feast of first fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of the Day of Atonement, the Feast of the New Year, and the Feast of Tabernacles, yet to be totally fulfilled, because that's at his coming in the Millennial Kingdom. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, right? We studied that last week a little bit. So all these things that point to him, all these festivals, all the dietary laws, all the sacrifices, are a shadow of the real thing, which is Jesus. If I was waiting for a loved one to come off an airplane or uh, into where I was waiting for them, and I see around the corner, I see their shadow before them, I don't dive on the shadow and start kissing the cement. I follow the shadow to the real thing. Shadows get big and grotesque. Shadows shrink and change. You know, they're shadows. But the real thing, you want the real thing. Shadows aren't the whole deal. You can't hold them. So here, these things are shadows. And by the way, whatever kind of the dietary, should we all take care of our health and not eat pure sugar or some kind of carcinogenic stuff? Well, that's kind of a health issue, isn't it? But you can't tell people this is the diet of Christians. <laughs> or you can't say you must not eat meat. You can't say that biblically. You can't say you must eat meat. You can't say any of that stuff. You can't make up your own modern day ones because of science either. You can give advice to health, but, you know, someday we're going to find out chocolate cake's the healthiest thing you could eat, you know, <laughs> while smoking a cigarette. No, I know that's not true, but <laughs> but don't make that your, the whole issue of your life because you can't even make the dietary laws in the Old Testament the issue of life. It, they're not. You can't make any of the sacrifices the issue of life. They all point to Jesus. There are Jews for Jesus and Messianic Jews who are wonderful people. Some of them make you feel like unless you're doing exactly what they do to keep all the feasts of Israel, you're not really a strong Christian. Not all of them, just some of them will make you feel a little bit less. That can't be true. The Gentiles were not told to keep the law. They're beautiful. That's why we do Passover and talk about the feasts, but we don't make this a ritual that if you follow, now you're a really good Christian. But if you don't, they're suspect. You're a little less than. And you can't make, you can't make, well, we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. That's the standard. And if you don't do that, you're a little less than either. That's what we do. But we, I don't tell people, I still think it's, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was the best thing I could do. But I don't demand that other Christians do it that way. And there's great teachers teaching you know, expositionally without doing it exactly like that. So we're not here to promote ourselves or our style or our pattern. Amen? That isn't what people need to hear. That isn't what people need to see. They need to see Jesus. They need to see Jesus. We would see Jesus. In the church I came from, right as you, there was a stage entry from behind, it was a big church, so there was a backstage. And right over the doorway as you came out to go to teach, and I had the privilege of teaching there, you know, different times, it said from, from Luke, when the Greeks came, Sirs, we would see Jesus. 
So you were reminded that people didn't need to see you and your opinions. <laughs> they didn't need to see your religious style. It's going to be there. Your, your personality is going to be there when you talk, right? Not just me, but you too, you know. Your style is going to be exhibited when you talk. You think so? Every one of us. It's true. I can't hide it. If I try to fight it too much, I'll just explode. But that's not what we came here to see. That's not where we go anywhere. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. You know, if I'm going to leave and die here in this church, it's going to be, I want to know that people know what we stood for. Unequivocally, without any question, it wasn't a certain pattern or style of music or our other, you know, burger day, <laughs> soup day. The way we do Wednesday night Bible study, forget about it. We would see Jesus. That's what people need. A fresh view of Jesus. That's what I need all the time. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone put laws and burdens all on you. Uh, You know, that's a shadow. So we really appreciate worshiping on Sunday here. Because our culture used to be anyway, Focused that way. And because, yeah, the disciples met on the first day of the week, but they also met on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. And there are Christians who believe strongly they should meet on Saturday. And when, I, when they do, I say, God bless you. Be, be sure of your conviction and follow it. But you can't tell me I got to meet on Saturday. And you can't tell me I got to meet on Sunday. In Romans, it says, 14 verse 5, one person esteems one day above another such as Sunday or Saturday. Another man esteems every day the same. They all belong to the Lord. None of that makes a difference. Let each person be fully convinced in their own mind. I don't know how you become more clear on that. How many scriptures do we need to say you can't judge people by which day they worship? Don't let anybody do that to you. Don't use I can worship any day as an excuse to forsake gathering with believers, being committed to the body of Christ. Now that's a whole other realm of self-deception. Oh, I don't have to. The Bible says I don't need to worship on any given day. You're absolutely right. Are you committed to the body of Christ somewhere? Are you involved? Are you engaged? Are you giving of yourself? Are you receiving and being hammered on a little bit by having to be with other people? <laughs> Or are you totally self-centered and you've got an American Western idea of Christianity with a bias that's been taught to you because of your independence and self-expression? That's a different story. I'll go to toe with anybody there and I'm not going to force them, but I'm not going to just lay down and go, oh yeah, nothing matters. Just go up on a mountain and pray and that's all you need to do. Oh, half of the Bible in the New Testament talks about your interaction with other believers and being committed to them. Half of it. But I also am not here to force anyone to do anything. That's not my job. That's not your job. Our job is to love Jesus with all our heart, be an example of what it means to be committed to him, and pick a day, (laughs) or pick every day, and be connected with people. So these things are not the issue. We appreciate worship. We appreciate worship on certain days, but we don't chase shadows. And, and you know, the, the, there were 613 laws given to the Jews, the Ten Commandments plus 603. 
Well, the rabbis turned it into 6,013, didn't they? I'm being facetious. It's not that exact amount, but they turned it into 6,013. But legalism will not just make you work hard. It will rob you of the relationship of joy with Jesus. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Satan loves legalism because he can get people to say, I do this and this and this. Leave me alone. I'm okay with God. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I keep the rules. I don't smoke and curse and spit and chew, and I don't go out with girls who do. (laughs) I got my list of things I don't do wrong. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me about God or about getting close to him. I'm, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Don't ask me how I'm doing with the Lord. Don't encourage me in a direction spiritually. I'm fine because I'm doing my little list. I have a little list of rules. I follow the list of rules. You get out of my face. That's what legalism does. You don't know anybody like that? You cannot talk. You can't say, isn't the Lord great? Listen, I go to church on Sunday. Don't start talking to me about Jesus. <laughs> well, I can see that church on Sunday is really strengthening your fellowship with God and your joy in the Lord. Are you with me? Am I uh, being too harsh on this? I'm not saying everyone at all. I'm saying there's people that that's what they do. It's in us to fulfill a list of rules. We get to feel fine. And that inner circumcision... We don't have to worry about because, you know, you can pay your tithes and say, I gave my 10%, so the rest I can buy whatever car I want, go shopping as much as I want, go out to dinner as many times as I want. Nobody can tell me what I'm supposed to do with my money, which includes God, so that God cannot say to you, hey, you see that guy over there? Instead of going out to dinner tonight, I want you to give that guy 50 bucks. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. You have a relationship with him, and your life belongs to him, and you won't find it on a little list of rules. You'll find the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And now it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Now every moment of every day, what is Jesus doing with me? Now, well, I don't say curse words, but what are the thoughts of my heart? You know, oh, I don't ever express hatred towards anyone, but inside I'm fuming at people and feeling good about it, carrying on conversations in my mind. Do you know you always win the conversations that you carry on in your mind, the arguments? You always end up on top. Yeah, okay, Terry doesn't, but most of us do. We, we, we kind of go through this thing where we're, we, we have all the right things to say and we really put them in their place, and, well, that really helps you become a better person. So do you see what I'm saying about the list of rules? We've talked about it before. It it robs you of your relationship with God. In verse 18 and 19, he says, Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility. Hey, listen, if it's false humility, is it humility? No, it's false. It's pride, okay? It pretends to be something. Taking pride in, uh, let's see, uh, blah, blah, blah. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshy mind. It's just a human, natural man's mind. And not holding fast to the head, to whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. And there's a verse that talks about being connected to the body of Christ right there. Joints and ligaments. I mean, it's kind of hard to 
I'm just up on the mountains praying, and I'm, I've got a connection to a ligament down there somewhere. <laughs> so I'm connected to the body. I have relationships with people as I have relationship with God. So don't let anyone cheat you. Don't, and that word comes from deciding as an umpire against you, saying you're out when you're in, saying you lose when you win. Some would keep you from the joy of simply knowing and trusting in Jesus. I mean, forcing their wisdom, their idea of fullness. The Gnostics had a fullness idea. When it says here, the fullness is in Christ, it's in direct response to the fact that the Gnostics were saying, we have fullness to share with you. And it comes through this pattern, like you know, Jesus is a step on that journey, but there are many angels and different realms that you go to. And, you know, people are really drawn to this stuff. Um, I just, I don't want to be, this, I'm sure I'm arrogant, so forgive me. But I am very thankful that, I don't know, people nailed my feet to the floor when I got saved. Do you know what I'm saying? When I started to get flighty and flippy and all these crazy ideas, they just say, Rick, come over here. Hammer, hammer, hammer. Just walk with Jesus and obey the Bible. And don't look for all these visions and miracles all the time to fulfill your personhood and to give you some new edge about what it means to know God. Just get to know him through his word and simplicity. And they hammered me with it. And I think what I do is hammer in kind in the same way. Do I think God does great wonderful miracles and amazing things. Has he done them in my life? Of course he has. But what it's talking about here is that people kind of have a hunger for these esoteric, like, out there things that nobody else knows about, and they're it's unique. And it's, I mean, it, it, what happens is you miss just knowing Jesus and the quietness and the simplicity of your heart. Um, and, and so uh, th- th- these guys, you know, fullness, spiritual leadership vision that wasn't real. You know, they would say, we believe in Jesus, but that's that's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. You can't just, or you can't just go directly to God. Who do you think you are? There's steps and things you have to go through to go to God. But through Jesus Christ, we have access by one spirit to the very throne of God, to the very boldness to come before his throne of grace And there's so many verses about this. False humility is not humility at all. It's pride. Intruding into things they haven't seen. Doctrines that are made up. Teachings that are made up. You know where they come from? The space between each line. So here's a line that tells you, boom, truth. Here's another line that tells you truth. But in between there, (laughs) they make up stories. Make up. I remember the first time I heard that. We heard a, a lady was teaching about the prophets to a group of people. And I was with a friend, and we overheard her. It's all this stuff that I never, ever heard in the Bible. And I said, where do you think, where did she get that, that stuff she was saying? He goes, oh, probably from the spaces between the lines. <laughs> you won't find it in Scripture. It's not clear. Listen, if it's a clear scriptural doctrine, it'll be a clear scriptural doctrine. It'll be backed up. It won't just be one half of one verse in the Old Testament. And then somebody makes this whole giant thing about it. You don't have to feel guilty that you're not spiritual because you don't buy into all that. So some people need an edge over others in spiritual realm. And you can't have fellowship with them because it's not about the grace of God through Jesus Christ, uh, but about their rules, about their works, about their vision. Can I say that again? I want to make sure you get this, and I'm talking fast as usual. Some people need an edge over others in the spiritual realm. 
So you can't really have fellowship with them because it's not about grace with them. It's not about the love of God. It's about their rules. Are you keeping my rules? It's about their works. Are you doing what I'm doing? Their vision, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And they're disconnected, it says here. People that are into these realms are disconnected from the head where the life of Jesus flows through his body and it only comes through the head, through him. And that's a serious charge Paul is making. Are you with me? That's a serious charge. He's saying they're disconnected from the head. Don't think, well, they just have a little different idea about spirituality than I do. No, they're disconnected from the head if Christ is not being lifted up and exalted and we're all just together in this thing. Yeah, some of us are more mature than others, so we help each other. But none of this elevated man view and elevated intellect view, it's a serious charge. It's not just, well, they're a little weird. Uh, These are deceivers. And this isn't everybody you know who is off a little bit. There are people that are off a little bit. I'm sure I am in some way, too. But, but there are deceivers who bring others into bondage, who tell you, unless you're a part of that group or that concept, unless you believe exactly like them, there's something amiss with you. Verse 20 through 24, we'll finish. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world... See, he was not under the basic principles of the world because he died and rose to glory. Why is the living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things that are to perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, he's not talking about, oh, well, I don't have to worry about don't touch, so I should go ahead and drink 20 beers in a row and get drunk. Or I don't have to worry about don't touch, so I could go grab a prostitute. I mean, you don't need a real big brain to know that's not what he's talking about. (laughs) He's talking about, it doesn't mean go sin, but don't be under rules and regulations that are man-made about uh, this religious activity and uh, kosher laws and additional laws that, that, that had been added and that people were still pushing on others and what day to worship and all this other kinds of stuff. It doesn't mean go sin, but it is don't keep a bunch of rituals and think that's your walk with God. These are going to perish with the using. These are according to, the in verse 22, the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, you could fast for 40 days and still be lusting. <laughs> you could uh, say, I'm not going to watch any movies And there are certainly plenty of movies to not watch. (laughs) There really are, you know. There's a lot more movies to not watch than there are to watch because of what they're filled with. But you know what? You could not watch one movie and still be filled with anger and hatred and lust and debauchery. You know, know, it's, it's something that you deal with on the inside from the inside out, which is what he's advocating. And, um... So you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Do you remember ever hearing that? Jesus said that. If you put new wine into old wineskins, the wine has real life in it. It's bubbling, it's, it's moving, it's, it's, it's breathing. The old wineskin is hard and cracked and stiff. And you pour the new wine in it, and what happens? The bottle bursts, and you lose the wine, and you lose the wineskin. You've got to put new wine in new wineskins. By the way... The word new there can also be renewed in the actual language. 
So what they would do with the wineskin is they would dip it in water and let it sit there, and it would soak in the water and it would soften up. You soak in God's word, and, and you get renewed. It's not just, okay, I can't do any of the old stuff. You know, uh, reading your Bible is a kind of perpetual thing, isn't it? <laughs> praying is kind of a perpetual thing, isn't it? You, like you keep praying. But hopefully you don't just say prayers. You actually grow in relationship where you're talking with the Lord and experiencing him and crying out to him and listening for him. And, and, and we do say, Lord, why am I this way? But if you find yourself always saying, why am I this way? Why am I not that way? Maybe start praying, Lord, show me what specifically I need to camp on in your word and claim and stand on to not just keep being that way. And so just help me not be this way. Help me not be this way. Help me not be this way. There is a difference. And there is a way that God will work. So new wineskins and new wine. You're, you're a new creation in Christ. Did you know that? You are a new creation in Christ. You are not to live under man's legalism because all it does is does not glorify God and it doesn't help you overcome sin. You just change your sin by, by making yourself self-righteous and you don't really stop your lusts and your desires by legalism. You, you don't. You change them by getting close to Jesus. I mean, so it's one thing to deal on the outward and then leave me alone. It's another thing to deal with the inner person and the issues of my heart. It's one thing not to act proud. Okay, well, I'm not going to act proud. Oh, yes, brother, but, you know, okay. If I talk real soft and blink my eyes, then I'm a humble person. If I nod my head in agreement, but if inside, if inside, I'm not acting proud, but inside I just am completely self-important and consumed by my own attitude and belief. And um, I see everything through my own nature, and I'm unwilling to be vulnerable and open my heart to God and to others about the things that are inside of me. I'm unwilling to open my heart and be vulnerable to others. I'm unwilling to open my heart I don't mean everybody. I don't mean standing up in church and just gushing everything out for the whole world, every negative thing about yourself. I would not encourage that. It could happen sometime in a healthy way because God did that. God's done that with me a few times. I was so hard, so proud, young man, that God just had me blurt out all my sins in front of a group of people. I'm not advocate. I've never asked you to do that, right? And I'm not asking you to do that. But I think my life began to change then because it was like, oh, the Holy Spirit was, I, I mean, I, I'm sure I had control that I could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. But I wanted Jesus, and I knew I was bottled up. And I looked at people around me, and they weren't bottled up. I mean, I, later I found out they're just as bad as me, but, <laughs> but I also knew that they were willing to embrace me. They were willing to embrace me. It was, it was one of those times. I mean, there's people who have been in church for 20 and 30 years and have never talked to anyone about deep things in their heart. Deep pain, deep sorrow, deep feeling of failure. I don't know. I'm not here to psychoanalyze anybody. I'm just telling you. And my heart aches for people, honestly, who are bottled up and can't let it out. I just encourage you to find somebody to let it out to. Somebody that you kind of can tell they don't sit around and judge everybody, you know, constantly because they have flaws, some flaws. But, but, you know, God uses people. 
Paul said in Corinthians 1, where we've been studying, we comfort others with the same comfort we've been comforted with. And, and that word comfort is paraclete. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside to help. Well, how's the Holy Spirit help us? He uses people. And a lot of times he uses people. And uh, we kind of resist that. So, so we can be filled with pride and still act very humble. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, you could be filled with anger, filled with pride, filled with a lot of things. I don't say this with any judgment or I just know it from human nature. I know it from my own nature. What a freedom. What a freedom to go, and there's nothing to protect here. You know, I've been set free. I've been set free doesn't mean I never sin. My mind is pure. I've been set free means I'm not trying to prove that I'm worthy of God's love and I have to hide anything that's unworthy because that'll blow my whole cover. (laughs) You're not laughing. Okay, so I'm making some of you, I'm sure I'm making some people uncomfortable right now. In all kindness and gentleness, good. (laughs) We don't come to church, if you come to church to be comfortable, uh, I don't know where you ever find, yeah, that's not healthy. And that's not healthy. You know, comfort seems to be, the the least comfort we get is the one that we self try to control comfort and never be uncomfortable. That is like the worst prison to be in because you can't really do it. You'll become uncomfortable one way or another. And then you'll be even more bummed out because your whole goal in life was to be comfortable and not to have anybody cross those lines with you. And it's just like the only way is I'm a rock, I'm an island. And you know where I'm saying that song? (laughs) Shall I sing it to you? And a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. They also don't have love in their life. So, enough of that. I know you're saying that, too. Uh, it's one thing to, to not act proud. It's another thing to, to see your own self-importance or protectionism of yourself so you can't let it out. It's one thing to give tithes. It's another thing to seek God about all that you own. It's one thing to go to church. another to sense a call of God to engage in a small group or some other activity of prayer where you rub shoulders with people and let God work in your life with relationships. It's, some people just want nothing to do with this. But God's heart never changed, only his methods. His methods changed, but his heart remained consistent. His methods changed with Israel to the New Testament because that's how he consistently kept the same promise all the way through to you and I right now. God is immutable. And when you hear that word immutable, it means he never changes. It doesn't mean he didn't change in how he dealt with man. He did the flood once, and he said he'd never do that again. But he didn't change in his character, his nature, and his purpose. Are you with me? God is immutable. He does not change. So his law is written. Why we read Jeremiah 31 is because his law is written on our hearts. I don't, I'm not convincing you by my teaching Never should it be convincing you to simply change a thought process or agree with an opinion. If it's proper teaching, it's pointing you to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, and he's already doing this in you. Your spirit wants God and is one with God. Your spirit agrees with the Bible, not your flesh, not your human mind. Your spirit has been made alive to God. 
maybe we're not cultivating it as much as we could, but it's already written on your heart. It isn't like you're going to read Colossians 2 until finally you feel the pencil of God's, the iron pen of God writing it on your heart. You may have some experience where you really get it. That's fine. But you're a new creature. You were born in the Spirit, born of God, and you're new, and this new life is growing, and this new life, though, is consistent as well. And whatever is that God, if, if you're born of the Spirit, what are you born of? If you're born of the Spirit, what are you born of? The Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Bible teaches this all over the Holy Spirit. So is the Holy Spirit in conflict over do I really believe the Word of God? <laughs> no. Is the Holy Spirit in conflict or do I know how to do that? I don't know if I know how to do that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in you that joins to your spirit that makes you alive to God is, has already written these things on your heart. It's on your heart. It's already in you. Did you know that? It's in you. Lord, put it in me, put it in me, put it in me. My friend, the one I love, it's in you because I'm in you. It's already written on your heart. Now, you might need to uncover it, but it's there. It's not, is there a process of this writing? I guess you could look at it that way, but really it says this is a new covenant, a new agreement, and it's going to be written on your heart. And what you do when you read the Bible is you not only find out things you didn't know, but you find out things that are true and right and a part of you that you didn't know. So maybe start to look for that and see what God does when you read your scriptures. It's written in my heart. The Bible confirms my real relationship with God, what the Holy Spirit's doing in me, not just rules to follow. So can we trust God's grace? Grace does more, not less. Let me give you one example that grace, not under rules and regulations of men, that's so scary because people might sin. Well, people sin no matter what you do. (laughs) I mean, like, you're going to fix that, right? You're going to fix that with rules. I've never been able to fix it in my life with rules, and I haven't seen anybody fix it with rules. I've seen people get very frustrated by the rules because they can't keep them, and they feel less than everybody else. That's, That's what I've seen. I don't know what you've seen. But I'll tell you what I have seen, too, is when the Holy Spirit works, he does greater things. Okay, the law said you need to tithe and give a certain percentage and not, not, you need to leave gleaning in the corner of your fields so that poor people can come, right? You remember this? You all, everybody knows about gleaning, even today, because we have the gleaners organizations. You're to leave a spot so you can you give a certain percentage of your crops and your first fruits. You leave the corners. Okay, I kept the rules. I'm done. In the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, and they continued in the Acts 2, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And it says in verse 44 of Acts 2, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Is that like grace does more than law? I'm not suggesting we need to follow that pattern today like I did in my youth and was in a communal ministry. That's not the point at all. It didn't continue that exact thing in the church. But what just happened there? What did we just hear? that people who God's Spirit moved on, who were now under grace and not the law, said, I got a piece of property. I better make sure I don't go all the way to the corner and make sure I leave some for the poor because God demands it. 
they said, man, I could sell this piece. There's all these people that love Jesus now that have come from all far away and they want to stay and learn about him. I got extra property. I'll just, I'll just sell it and I'll bring all the money and we'll just help everybody. I want to hear a voice here. Is, is grace do more than works? Does grace do more than law? If I went through and took an hour right now, I would show you verse after verse after verse after verse of what grace does. Grace isn't just that I'm, I'm forgiven and my sins are dealt with. Grace is I've been empowered to do God's work, to be in tune with God. His heart, it's written on my heart. Yeah. You know, it's easier to preach than it is to live it. That's why I love preaching. <laughs> but I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to say, Lord, make me live it. I believe it. Oh, not, you know, I don't ask the Lord very much, why am I this way? Why am I not just the way I preach all the time? I already know why I'm not the way. And so it's a little shorter road to go, okay, that's the flesh. Lord, take me in the spirit. I'm hoping I'm helping you on this one because I, because I do, over the years, the common word that people say is, why am I still this way? Why am I always this way? It's like a, it's like a rut, you know? And if you, if you can't, sometimes when you know what not to do, it'll teach you what to do. <laughs> so, okay, I can't say that anymore. No, that's a law. I, maybe I'm not supposed to say, why am I this way? What am I supposed to, what did he say? Well, let's forget about what he said. But if I don't say, why am I this way? What am I going to say? Lord, teach me your way. Lord, m- let me see. Let me sense it. Here I am right now at this moment, not fixing the past, not getting you to love me more. See, when you understand grace there, you're not trying to change what already happened and go backwards in time so you can feel better. You accept that you're forgiven. There's nothing else you can do, and now you look forward. It's really the way to live. Do you believe me? It's the Bible. It's really the way to live. So listen, grace does more than the law. Would you like to see grace do more in our culture? Like, do you wish in our political culture... In our moral culture and in our spiritual culture, would you like to see grace do more? Then stand up with me, which, of course, you're probably going to stand even if you don't. <laughs> but, uh, and let's pray together. And I don't mean just me. We're on time. Let's take five minutes and let's pray into our lives. Those who are comfortable to pray out loud, maybe your prayer is going to touch somebody's heart where my whole study just didn't reach them. Maybe your prayer they're going to be able to identify with, okay? And I don't really care about that as much as just pray your heart, but let's pray that God's grace would infiltrate our culture. Because if you're mad about the politics, and that's where you're stewing, you're wasting a lot of energy and time. You're not helping yourself or anybody else. If you're mad about the moral quality in our country, listen, I say this from experience. I get mad about all these things. <laughs> I mean, don't you? But I just refuse, I refuse to let that be my mode. I'm not here to be mad. I'm here to be directed by the Holy Spirit and to see grace do more in politics, to see grace do more in the moral qualities of our country, to see grace do more in the spiritual makeup of our nation. Is that fair? Let's pray it in. Maybe your words will be different than mine. I really don't care. But, Father, we just open our hearts to you as we end this time. It's for us personally. It's for our families. But it's also for our nation. We want grace to do more. We believe that. So let floors open. What do you want to pray about?